0: The sacraments are so essential and key uh, to our relationship with God, uh, baptism and confirmation. And so today, especially those of our numbers who are going to be making this retreat, I would like to talk about sinfulness and the need of the sacrament of reconciliation. How often we should uh, experience this sacrament and uh, I I really think it's very important. I think there's a, again, if there's a deep failure on our teaching of the sacrament of baptism and our failure to teach the sacrament of confirmation, uh, I really believe there needs to be so much more instruction, especially on sin and what I would call sinfulness. Not so much the Ten Commandments, because actually the Ten Commandments are the Old Testament law. And that was the law given on Sinai by Moses. Jesus, when he came, really gave us the Beatitudes. And his, his new uh, inaugural address, uh, when, uh, when he went up on the mountain in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, blessed are they who are poor, Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they who suffer persecution. And so the, the law of God is then the blessedness is there. Actually, he reduced the 10 to two. Love God with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, your whole strength. And the second which is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, John, reduced it to one in his gospel. How can you love God whom you do not see if you do not love your neighbor whom you do see? The whole law is love. God's commandment and God's law is the law of love. Sinfulness on the other hand is a mystery and I hope you've taken the time during this retreat to read those handouts which Ed Didier gave you uh, yesterday. Uh, at the conclusion of our uh, afternoon conversation in preparation for and and today I'm going to be administering the sacrament of reconciliation as I meet with you personally <clears throat> what is the sacrament of reconciliation it's uh, after calvary which is really what the sacrament of the eucharist is it's it's the it's the, the Eucharist is Jesus on Calvary. The Eucharist is Jesus risen from the dead. The Eucharist is Jesus present to us and we present to him. We, are, we, you know, if it's really false spirituality to say, if I was only there at Calvary, you are every day when you come to Eucharist. If I was only there when Jesus rose from the dead, you are, you're present to the Paschal mystery of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ every time we celebrate the Eucharist. Now, the key to the sacrament of reconciliation is the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus suffered and died on the cross, when in the sacrament today, when you come to me and, I've been ministered so far to those who have come to me when I make the sign of the cross and say the words of absolution. What is that? What's that the sign of just as in the Eucharist, the sign of the bread and the wine, the body and the blood Take and eat. This is my body Take and drink. This is my blood in, in the sign of the cross it's Jesus on the cross suffering and dying, and that's what you experience when you go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. As a sinner, there is no sin that can be forgiven other than through the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that brought salvation. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the the first chapter of Genesis, they fell from God's grace. There was no reconciliation. There was no coming to healing and reunion with God, except through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so through all that time from Adam and Eve down through the ages, Jesus in the year 33 is on Calvary and there he's crucified and there he dies on calvary that death of jesus christ is the salvation for adam and eve from the cross jesus sees adam and eve's sin in fact i belong to an eastern rite at the maronite rite and in some of the eastern rites adam and eve are seen as saints redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and and so when 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 uh, Jesus in, from the cross forgives them from the cross, there is no salvation for them. They were in uh, the underworld. They were in the darkness from death, their death. Jesus from the cross sees Cain kill his brother, so murder comes into the family. And, and same-sex attraction comes into the family Sodom and Gomorrah Jesus sees these these uh, depravities from the cross every single sin that had ever been committed from the time of Adam and Eve down to Calvary Jesus sees from the cross the infinite love which the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to pour forth on the earth, comes through Calvary. And so all of mankind is being saved through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's for the salvation of each and every member of the human race. And so it not only took place for those who were there, so what a shallow view it is when you make the Stations of the Cross. And I would like to give those as a a penance today to those who will be coming. For the most part, I'll, I'll use that. I think it's so powerful. Because, you see, in my sinfulness, in my brokenness, And in my living of the Paschal mystery, I live the stations of the cross because of baptism. So we we want to connect that from yesterday. And in my sacrament of confirmation, I'm living the stations of the cross. And in the two deacons who are here, and those deacons who are going to be ordained, you're as a clergyman, united with jesus in the sacrament of ordination baptism confirmation ordination the paschal mystery takes place in you you are jesus suffering and dying and rising united with him as the head it begins on calvary that's when the salvation and the redemption and the forgiveness of sins takes place. Now, my awareness of my holiness, baptism, confirmation, ordination, when this becomes very, when I become very aware of who I am in Christ, now I can become aware of who I am as a sinner, Those texts that I handed you are so important. So many times if we do not grow equally in our awareness of our sinfulness as well as in our awareness of our blessedness, our holiness. I am Jesus in the world and when I sin, That's depravity. I fall from grace into sin. What a horrible wickedness that is. To go from being Jesus, the fall is enormous. Right now in this chapel, and I'm convinced of it every time a retreat takes place, There are an enormous number of devils here. And they are very aware of who you are, even though you may not be aware of it. Who am I? I am Jesus. The devil is aware of Christ's presence within you. The devil is flat on his face before you. Because he recognizes the Christ in you. The power of Jesus in me is powerful over those spirits that are evil. The little flower, when she was just five years old, saw the devil right on her windowsill, and she made a little sign of the cross. And he was terrified, and he left her as a little child. She was aware of who she is. And so the demons, aware of the dignity and beauty that is in us, hates us, hates us with a, with a terrible hatred and the violence with which he goes after us to destroy the divine life that we have received. Why is there such a clash? It's, that's why we call it a mystery. Why would anyone in union with Jesus Christ, one with Christ, want to ever abandon that union? That's a mystery. That I, John Essoff, one with Jesus Christ, would ever sin. And so the church always approaches Sin has a mystery. It's a tremendous mystery. And there are involved many spirits. And we want to enter more deeply into the spiritual realm as we come to know our holiness, our oneness with Christ. And as that grows, as my awareness grows, that's what those articles are going to show you that as I become more aware of my union with Christ, I become more aware of the depravity of sin. Sin then takes on a darkness. It's not just breaking a commandment, it's destroying the divine life that's within me. That's what sin is. Sin is taking Christ and throwing him out of my life. And there's nothing more that the devil wants than that. And there's nothing less that God wants than for us to become aware of our own dignity and beauty in the sight of God. And so as the father looks at Jesus who dwells within each of us and wants to have us grow in that divine life, the evil one wants to totally destroy that divine life that is within us. And so my soul and yours is a battleground between the forces of light and the sources of darkness, the forces of love and the forces of hatred. There's a complete head-on crash in every soul. And that's what the mystery is of sinfulness. Now, as a child, when I was introduced to this sacrament, <clears throat> One of the worst ways that happened to me, and I would like to go over that because some of us still do it this way. That's why I'm bringing it out. Uh, when I was a little boy growing up in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, we didn't have the vigil for Sunday at that time. Saturday today always was the sacrament of reconciliation. Almost everybody in our parish, almost everybody, went to confession every Saturday. I don't know what happened to it. Even as a young priest, I remember long lines of confession every Saturday. And that was ordained in 1953. Something happened to mess us up on how to exercise this sacrament. Anyway, the, 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 the Essa family, as the families in our parish at St. Anthony's and all the families around us used to go to confession every Saturday. My father, he didn't sometimes want to go. He'd say, I don't have to go this week. And my mother would say, do you think you're the Immaculate Conception? And We'd all help him examine his conscience, how many times he cursed that week. So, in fact, my father was the champion cursor of Northeastern Pennsylvania. He was a truck driver and he really had a vocabulary. He didn't only know the words, he knew the music, wow, when he got going. And so down we go every Saturday and my mother and myself and my brother, my sister, all of us would go every Saturday. And we tell Father Corey our sins. And we were instructed that before you go to confession, you had to examine your conscience. And that's really the the way we did it, I think, is why I want to talk to you about this. What we mainly did was introspection. Now, if you read the articles, that's no way to find out your sins. To introspect. What I did this past week. You'll never find out what separates you from God by introspection, Uh, but that's how exactly we did it. uh, The number of sins we had, the times we committed them, the circumstance of those sins, and then we, after examining our conscience, we'd go in to tell Father Corey our sins, we'd tell the priest our sins, he would give us a penance, we would recite the act of contrition, he would give us absolution, and then we'd go out and say the penance. But you will never be able to know your sinfulness by going over the things that you did that past week. You know, the number of times we disobeyed our parents, the number of times we, we cursed, the number of times we fought with our brother and sister, and that's the way it was. We, we went and we confessed these things week after week. The problem is people grow up, and they still do it as, as those children did it. You could never understand what separates you from God, even as children, unless you ask the help of the Holy Spirit. Only God can reveal to me what separates me from God. Only God. So at baptism, when I was baptized, and and I used to go to confession, and I think a lot of the kids had the same thing as as I grew up in a parish, as, as 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 a sinner, and then as a priest, when people would come to confession, the poor instruction that they would have as to what separates me, this union, with God. So the kinds of times that that I would have all these attitudes, for instance, toward, toward toward blacks, or toward other nationalities, or toward Protestants, or toward other, other religious groups. Did I understand the Holy Spirit enlightening me from the viewpoint of the Holy Spirit, shining his light into my soul so I would know the darkness of my misery? I didn't get introduced to that. And so as I'm growing up, I'm stumbling in, in this old way of introspection. So I get to be about 13, 14 years old, and I'm having some difficulties with my body, and I, I want to tell the priest about, about this, and I don't know how to tell him. I, I got these struggles with myself. And so I go into the confessional, and uh, I still go into confession. And uh, one of the ways I resolved it was uh, I, I Changed my voice. I didn't want the priest to know who I was. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I I developed an English accent. And so whenever I had this sin, that's what I would do. And uh, one time, Father Corey said to me, John, tell your grandfather I want to see him. I thought, oh, my God, he knows who I am. What a stupid way. What a stupid way. And that's true. That's why I'm telling you this. Many of us carry these wounds and we're like afraid to say what it is. You go to the doctor and you don't tell them where the bleeding is. Stupid use of the sacrament. The only one who can heal me is the Holy Spirit. The only one who can reveal to me and diagnose my misery Is God. And some of us approach the sacrament, even now, of reconciliation without calling upon God to reveal it to me. So read those articles. They're very important. For instance, I think if there's 18 of us here, there's 18 different saints. Each of you are very unique. But there's 18 different sinners. Each of us has a different brokenness, a characteristic weakness that goes all the way back in my life, right from the time that I was little. That weakness is just, it's in us, in each one of us, that that little sack of pus that comes with original sin is in every single human being every one of us has this sinfulness it's a tendency it's a characteristic that takes us away from god and the holy spirit is the one who reveals that tendency to us and i would call that for each one of us a core wound and it's different for each one and each one has to come to know an event in my life or time in my, my development when this particular tendency began to take over. So if I find myself, for instance, with a tendency, this, here's one that I think is a deep wound in nature. In chapter 7 of uh, Matthew's Gospel, Stop judging, so that you may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged. And the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Why do you notice the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove that spot and splinter from your eye while the wooden beam is in your own eye. You hypocrite. That's the gentle Jesus saying that. Remove the wooden beam from your own eye first so that you may see clearly enough to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. Am I a judgmental person? Do I have a judgmental mind? Is that what takes me away from God? Is that my core wound? I was uh, having spiritual direction with a group of spiritual directors and in fact down at the uh, place where I'm going to be going after I leave here at Broomtree. And one of the directors had a, had a rubber band around his wrist. And another director, just out of curiosity, said, is that to remind you of something, that rubber band around your wrist? And he said, oh no, he said this, and then he told us what it was. He said, I discovered that my mind is very judgmental. And he said, I, I didn't realize it, but I could see that almost everything that I would be thinking about, I would begin to judge people. He said, in the first day that I wore this, I snapped it because I take it. And when I see myself judging someone, I snap it. He said, the first day I snapped it 88 times. Now, do you have that kind of mind? Have you come on this retreat and there might be someone here? You hardly know. I don't like her. Who does she think she is? Is that the kind of mind you have? Do you catch yourself sometime judging people? You see, I can tell you as we were yesterday that you're called to be Jesus. I am called to see everyone with the eyes of Jesus. But this judgmental mind is so full of pus. I don't see Jesus in everyone. This is the disease that day after day takes me away. Not only 88 times, it's when I begin to see that's the kind of mind I have. Oh, God, deliver me. If you begin to see the depths of your misery when you have this kind of mind, is that your brokenness? I don't know. But as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to me, we have hardly begun to really put on the mind of Christ, which we are invited to do in Philippians. Put on the mind of Christ. See Jesus in everyone. See the best in everyone. Did you ever meet somebody like that, so beautiful, so Christ-like, that everyone they see, they see the best in that person. What holiness exudes from that person? And yet, this judgmental mind that keeps us and prevents us from living that life more fully, it's a disease. It's a terrible disease, judgment. There's another one that I find, it's, it's a horrible, and it's very clerical. It belongs to clergy and their wives, and it's envy. And it goes way back. The disease can be there. A, a clerics, when they get together, so jealous, so envious. And and the, the, the beginning goes, how, where does it go? It, it, it's not to accuse anyone of that, but if that's what is going on in me, how much I want to know it. Where does it begin? Most of the time in childhood. When you were a little girl and your sister got a new dress, you were jealous. And when you went to school and someone got A's, you were jealous. When you played sports and someone got chosen for the team and was better than you were, you were jealous. When someone got higher marks, and was chosen for honors, that it was like it was suffering in you, jealousy. It actually hurt. And as you went along, then you began to want to cover it up because you didn't want it to be seen for what it was. But then you, when you went to work and someone got a, six, a higher position than you, Look at the development of that pus, that was all the way back in my life from the time I was little. And I try to cover it up. I try to not let people see it. But basically, I am an envious and jealous person. One of those great characteristics, you know, in the the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel, We have the sinner, you know, the prodigal. You know, I don't know if any of you had a history of alcoholism, but it's pretty obvious when someone gets drunk or does drugs. But the kid, the younger son, who goes out and does that stuff or gambles his father's fortune away, and the family, they get picked out. This is their pus. They have an addictive personality and they go downhill pretty fast. And so as drunkards, as as drug addicts, they're quickly seen for the disease they have. And all of us in one way or another have either met it in ourselves even. You know, one of my great ministries is to minister to recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. Marvelous minister. One of the greatest group of people I ever met, that I work with, they suffer terribly, but it's a it's a disease, and it's there. It is in the body, you know. The those who have these addictive tendencies, and and you can see it on uh, advertisements. You know, you see this little girl, and it's really true. She's 11 years old, and she said, "If I start drinking, because it's alcoholism." And this kind of addiction is an inherited tendency. If any of you especially have an alcoholic parent or grandparent, you should be very careful that you inherit a tendency. It's like diabetes. There's an inherited tendency. You have to be very, not that everyone is going to be an alcoholic that comes from an alcoholic uh, inheritance, but it's there. The brother of that uh, younger son, what about him? He had what I call clerical pus. He stayed at home, but he was judgmental of his brother. He didn't know what his brother spent his money on. And he said, who spent your fortune on prostitutes? judging his brother condemning his brother that son of yours he didn't even call him his brother and of course the huge huge sin unforgiveness he didn't forgive his brother at all his father was so in love with his son and in love with him But those diseases, they can be so easily covered up. And I never left home, and I always served you, and I was always a good boy. And you never once even killed a kid goat for me. And this son of yours, you killed a fatted calf. What is that disease? that's in me and so many times it can remain very covered up and I can look very good I never left home but he never loved his father and he never loved his brother and so as we come to discover what is it in me As I examine myself today, what is my, what is that sinfulness in me? How can I come to discover my core wound? So many of us can say, and we think about it because all of us are very serious about wanting to live in union with Jesus Christ. Jesus is in me and you, he's one with us. Remain in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. The divine life that is in us was given to us, totally merited, it's grace. That's what grace means, I did nothing to deserve it. Everything that I have is a pure gift of God. If I am in the grace of God, God is the one who gave me that grace. My holiness, my union with God is all God's work. None of it is mine. The only thing I have received in my holiness is to receive it. God gave it all to me. The saint will always be right when he says, thank you, God. And he will also be right when he said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come to me. Only say the word and I shall be healed. What the saint does is discover the wound. And that discovery of the wound is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we come to the sacrament of reconciliation, Call on the Holy Spirit in preparation for your exercise of this sacrament. Could it be that some of us here have never really discovered my core wound? I've only discovered the symptoms of my wound. Over and over again. Now, I deal with a lot of uh, Myself my, you know I, I'm just telling you this as a spiritual doctor. in my own growth in holiness and I want to grow every day and in the growth of others in holiness, so many times we pay more attention to the symptoms of the disease than the disease itself. One of the great areas, that I find of separation from God is sloth. Sloth, like envy and judgment, is a major sin. It really is, it, and it's called a capital sin. Capit—it comes from a Latin word, head. The head of the snake—that's what—that's what why it's called a capital. The head of the snake, a sloth, is self reliance. Someone who is slothful can also exhibit being a workaholic. Oh, he doesn't look lazy, but he relies only on himself. He has only his self-reliance, and it looks like he is in charge of things. And especially in our society, it's so difficult to grow up as an American. It's so, to grow up in a society that rewards this can-do spirit. And so, when you're in school, you gain and you get ahead. And you have to do it yourself. I was a little boy and I went to school for the first day. It's a true story, and uh, I, uh, I, I, I never saw, in my home, I never saw a person strike another person, never. Our home was really, was a lot of people there, a lot of, my dad could lose his temper once in a while, but never, never did he, uh, you never saw anyone raise their hand toward another, My first day in school, it was so traumatic I still remembered it. Jackie Karras was another kid, six years old, at St. Mary's School, punched a kid and bloodied his nose. And I saw this and I went home and said to my father, Dad, this kid, he said, who? Jackie Karras, he's in my class and he punched so-and-so, and and his nose was bleeding. Okay, what should I do? I'll show you. My dad bought me boxing gloves. And he began to teach me how to box, and he did. And he did a great job. Uh, How to duck, how to move, how to hit back. And uh, you know, we tried it, kids at home and he was showing me, well, I think I was just waiting for the day to go to school, that Jackie Karras, I wasn't afraid of Jackie, you now, and he was gonna come at me, Jackie swung, and I punched him right smack in the mouth, and I remember the blood going all over. And uh, that was how we solved that one. That was it. Can-do spirit. Now, my father, I think, probably did what many of the fathers of our time did. That's the way you did it. And then when I went to second grade and third grade, I continued. And that was one of the things I learned how to box. And in our neighborhood, that really was very important to punch the other kid out. And when I remember in high school, it just continued with me. And this. Ah, this uh, attitude of taking care of yourself, this attitude, and I never heard about loving your neighbor or your enemy in that sense, but was punch him out before he punches you. Now, that's the world that's all around us now. That's certainly not the gospel. That's certainly not Jesus. And somehow, somewhere or other, that that began with me in first grade. In first grade, I learned how to be the top of my class. And I would always want to come home with A's and the best marks. Be successful. Be the best. Be number one. And no matter what what I did and wherever I moved, in sports, in studies, in whatever you were doing, be number one. What did the gospel say? Very different. So as we grew up, what was success to get ahead? to get to the top. And so success, as far as gospel values are concerned, are very different, as Jesus is teaching us. Who is the successful person? Who is the one who is the top? He who is the lowest among you. He who is the servant among you. And when I think of your names, deacons, servants, when I think of your the instrument that I would think of, it was the apron, the towel, the servant. And so where is the clash coming inside of me? This self-reliant person, this get-ahead kind of disposition. Now, God has given us all many gifts. Now, one of the ways that we have in the in the mystical body of Christ and it's a powerful disposition is not competition and comparison to compare and compete i'm better than i'm less than but cooperation every one of us has gifts there is something each one of us can do that no one else can do. Each one of us has a value, so specific, so unique, that no one else in the world can do it as well as I can when I discover that beauty that is within me. And what is that? It's the true I. What saves me from self-reliance and competition and comparison this world in which we live what a different view then i begin to take with regard to this attitude of sloth and yet i think as we grow up in this society it's so subtle have you ever asked the holy spirit can you Reveal to me, do I have a compare and compete attitude? With regard to my brothers and sisters and when I was growing up. With regard to other people at work. And so if I'm going to love, which is the commandment, then I first love myself for what I have. It's, it's, it's so beautiful when I began to see, I remember when I discovered the mystical body at 21, what a oh, tremendous change had to take place in, in John Essif with regard to fighting my attitude toward others. It was so radical inside of me as we're being introduced to, this, to these new ways of looking, especially at God and God within us and discovering how he wants us to change. When you discover your weakness, uh, my brothers and sisters, what is the attitude that I have toward that sack of pus that's inside of me? Rejoice. Rejoice in your weakness. What is it? Is it lust? Is that what it is? Then rejoice, if that's what it is. Is it envy? Rejoice, if you discover what it is. Because now, once you discover it, you'll know how, through His grace and His help and support, to remain in union with Jesus, who is in you, without Him you can do nothing. In order to overcome our weakness, that's why Paul, Paul was so full of, what was Paul? I, I remember one time, and this this really came to me, uh, a couple of years ago. Who was the person in my life time? that I saw like Paul of Tarsus. We had the year of Paul. And as I began to pray Paul of Tarsus, what was he? He was a zealot. He was a zealot for Judaism. He was so angry with this new way, these Christians, that this way that Jesus had introduced, and he was a Pharisee, And he was going to blot it out. And he was the one responsible for killing Stephen. And he was going around throwing these people in jail. He was so on fire. What was, he He was on fire for the wrong thing. He was a zealot. Who in my day did I know like that? Osama bin Laden. I began to pray for him. I began to fast for him. I began to ask God, and finally I put out on YouTube a challenge to him, and I kept praying for him. And finally I heard he was killed. And I thought that day that I heard that he died. Do you know when he died? Our president said, human justice was done when Osama bin Laden was killed. And I think he was right that human justice, he killed others and he was killed. But he died on the feast of divine mercy. Who knows 10,000 years from now, where we'll find Osama bin Laden? Will he be in hell for what he did? Or will I be condemned that I didn't pray more for him? Or that he was hated because Those hated him was caused by his own hatred. Why wasn't he converted? Because people like me didn't love enough. God's mercy is infinite. Now when I discover my misery, and that's what sin is, it's misery. Each one of us is miserable. We're a miserable sinner. That's who I am. I am a sinner. And my sinfulness is always, remember this, finite. Osama bin Laden's sins can be counted, they're finite. He may have killed thousands, but they still can be measured. God's mercy is infinite it can't be measured it's beyond measurement the divine mercy that's what the cross is that's what this sacrament is and so the deeper your wound the deeper the mercy there's someone here who is the worst sinner you're loved the most by God. And so as you discover your misery, the deeper you go into your awareness of your sinfulness, the greater the mercy of God that's waiting for you. When I'm at Mass in a little while, how how deeply do you say, Lord have mercy? On me? How long has it been since I cried for mercy? Have mercy! Or, no, I'm okay. I'm even doing you a favor by being here. How many of those kind of wimps do we have? No. You see, the deeper the love that God has, we become aware of when I know how miserable I am. I've known some saints, thank God, and I'd like to imitate them. One was Mother Teresa. She went to confession every day during retreat, every day. When I had a retreat with her, she went every day. I've heard some of you say, oh, I went last week, or I went a month ago. Every day, Mother Teresa was aware of her misery. She was, and the whole world knew what a saint she was. John Paul too went, and this is his confessor, his conf- every day to confession. What is my misery? And so as we increase in the divine love, as we increase in our awareness of who we are, we increase in our awareness of the need for reconciliation. Now we don't have to go to confession for that. Every day we have an examination of conscience, morning, night, some people do it twice a day. As I come before God each day, in the morning and in the evening, and I have a little, uh, especially at night, as I go over each day, how often did I offend you, my God? Have mercy on me. I'd like to uh, just talk about, I'm gonna let it go this afternoon, because this afternoon I would like to talk about uh, a topic that I think, especially, it's my last conversation with you, during the retreat, and it will be on matrimony, because all of you have the sacrament. But uh, there's, there's one wound on the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters, that I think is so important, and that is forgiveness. I'm a priest 58 years, and one of the things that I find people carrying around with them is unforgiveness how often I fail to forgive my father for what he did, my mother for what she did, my brothers and sisters, even you in your marriage, for the times you hurt each other and wound each other, for the times your children may have hurt you, and especially if you have an enemy because the only the only religion in the world that teaches forgiveness is christianity it's the unique teaching of christianity jews do not teach forgiveness jews teach retaliation the mosaic law is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth you kill a jew and a jews going to kill you back just see what's happening in the middle east I was there, I know that. You kill a Jew and a Jew's gonna kill you back. The Jews will never forget the Holocaust. Six million Poles were killed as well as six million Jews, but the Jews will never forget it, the Poles did. Such a difference between the Mosaic law and Christian law. Actually, the Islamic law is you can hate your enemy. It's it's written right there in the Sharia law. You can hate your enemy. The only religion that teaches forgiveness is Christianity. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so as that cross is in front of us, and it's, it's an invitation to all of us to examine ourselves for the many, many times that we have failed to forgive. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.